Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Good morning, Word of Life Highland Colony. Hope everybody is doing great today. As you can see, Father's Day is next Sunday. In case you didn't know, Father's Day is next Sunday. So make sure you get something good for your dads on that day. Well, today we're going to talk about one of our values. We've got five values here at Word of Life. And today the value that we're going to talk about during today's message is the value of go. And so I'm excited to share that with you today. But before we do anything else, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for the opportunity just to gather around your word, gather around each other. Father, we thank you for all that you want to speak to our hearts today. And Lord, we just thank you that whatever it is that we have need of, no matter what happened this past week, the good, the bad, the ugly, we thank you that you're just causing us to have a fresh start as we come into this new week tomorrow. Thank you for great grace. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for helping us in all that we do. And Father, as we hear the word today, Lord, let us not just be hearers of it, but also be doers of it, because your word tells us that whenever we do the word, that we will be blessed in all of our deeds, that all that we do, all that we put our hands to will be Good. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to kind of start off today's message with sharing with you a story about something that I started doing really a handful of years ago. And that was, as I got into the new year, I would write down my goals for the new year and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I felt impressed in my heart to do was to really be prayerful about the things that God wanted to do in the lives of my family. And so what I started doing is I would take time and I would be prayerful about my marriage. God, what do you want to do in my marriage this year? Uh, What do you want to do in my wife's life this year? What do you want to do in my my oldest son Max's life and my middle son Lakes and then our youngest son Jagger? Like, God, speak to me and give me direction about what I need to do and how I can help be a part of it for this upcoming year, you know, I want to see all these things happen and take place, but, you know, speak to me those things. So I had my pen out, I had my paper out, and I'm praying about it, and, you know, I'm I'm writing down my stuff to begin with, and, you know, I get to have a kind of a lengthy list right there, and then I'm writing down the stuff for, for my wife that I want to see and believe God for and all these different things, and there's even more things. And then I get to the first son, there's even more things, you know, and this list is starting to get kind of long. You can imagine five people in the family, you want to see all these things happen, because you want to see God move and do something great in your life because it's a new year, you're excited about it, all these different things. And you know what happened to me in that moment? I started off feeling really spiritual about it and really excited about it, but as I looked at that list and that notepad, I had like 30 or 45 things on that list, and all of a sudden I started feeling a little bit stressed about it. I started feeling a little bit overwhelmed about it because I'm like, how am I going to get all these things done? There's like 30 or 45 things down here. They're all good things. They're all needful things. But how am I supposed to get all this stuff accomplished? And all of a sudden I'm staring at this list and I'm like, gosh, this just really feels overwhelming to me. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart something. He said, Ryan, stop. Stop what you're doing. And he said, I want you to look at that list For each one in your family, there's a long list that you've written down, but I want you to circle the one thing. 
for each one of them. Circle the one thing for you that's most important. Circle the one thing for your wife and for each one of the boys. The most important thing on that list, if you got nothing else done, what is the most important? What's the one thing that if you get right, it'll take care of the rest of it? So I circled those one, that one thing for me, that one thing for my wife, Hope, for each one of our boys. And the Lord spoke to me and told me in that moment, he said, I just want you to focus on that one thing. And if you get that one thing done, that one thing accomplished, it's going to take care of all the rest of these things. Because how many of you guys know if you do the one thing that God tells you, he's going to work out the rest of the stuff. And all of a sudden, I feel a lot more peace about it because I'm like, man, I feel like I'm accomplishing so much already. It went from 45 things to five things. We're off to a great start. And you know what? I feel like so much of the time as we get into spiritual things and we start reading our Bible and we realize there's thousands of promises in God's word about what God wants to do in our life and he can do in our life. There's things for faith. There's things for healing. There's things for finances. There's things for relationships. There's all these different things in God's promises. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible and I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, that's good. I need to sharpen up in that area. I keep reading a little bit, a little bit further down. That's something else that I probably need to improve on. And I'm like, before I know it, I feel like I have a number of things that I've got to work on. And so in moments like that, it feels a little bit overwhelming. Like whenever I was writing down that list for the things I wanted to see God do in my family and in my wife's life and my kid's life and all that thing. And you know what? I think God knows us, not think. I know God knows us more than we know ourselves. And so he sent Jesus to the scene immediately to simplify life. How many of you guys like it whenever things are a little bit simpler? Well, I think God knows us so well that he was like, we're going to take it from 10 things and 10 commandments that you're to do. And I really want to narrow this thing down into one thing. And when Jesus came to the earth, he wanted to focus us in on one thing. And that one thing was basically that one thing that if we didn't get any of the other stuff right, it was going to be the one thing that if we got it right, was going to take care of all the other things in our life. God really asked us to do one thing in this life. He came to the earth to give us one new commandment. Now, some of you guys know what that commandment is, but if you don't, it's found in John 15, 12. It says to love one another. In some translations, it says love your neighbor even as I have loved you. This has become one of my favorite scriptures, rightfully so. It's the most important thing. But Jesus comes to the earth and he's like, there's a lot of things that you can focus on. There's a lot of things you can give your attention to. And you probably have been, but I want you to focus in on this one thing, this one commandment. If you get this one thing right, it's going to take care of the rest. So we know this one thing that we're supposed to do is to love one another and love our neighbor even as Jesus has loved us. And that's kind of a big statement, right? Because if I'm going to love my neighbor just like Jesus loves me, Jesus has loved me through my mess, through my mistakes, through my, my sin, the good times, the bad times, the ugly times, all these different things. Jesus has loved me through them, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor like that. That's kind of a tall order, right? And so immediately I start to look at that and I'm like, wow, how do I do that? What does that look like exactly? I'm supposed to love my neighbor even as I love myself. Who in the world is my neighbor? Is it just the person that lives right next door to me? Is it the person that lives a few doors down? I need to figure this thing out because if there's one thing I'm supposed to focus on that's going to take care of all the rest of the things, right? I need to know who in the world my neighbor is because I've got to love them just as Jesus has loved me first. That is what we're supposed to do. That is the one thing. 
to love each other and our neighbor just as Jesus has loved us. So to me, I'm a very logical person. Immediately, my mind goes towards this. How am I supposed to do this? I know what I'm supposed to do. Jesus, you simplified this thing for you. You made it real easy for me. You took a long list. You really narrowed it down. How do I do it, though? And this is really one of the most popular scriptures that most Christians know. If you've been coming to church any length of time at all, you've probably heard this at some point or another. What we're supposed to do is love our neighbor, but how we do it is found in Mark 16, 15. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Many of us have heard that, right? And that means many different things to to all of us. For one person, that might mean, okay, I go preach the gospel everywhere I go. For another person, maybe it's, I just show God's love here and there. It means a lot of different things to us. But what we're supposed to do is to love our neighbor. How we're supposed to do it is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Can I present something to you today? That the way that we go into all the world and preach the gospel is simply to show God's love to every person to all of creation, to demonstrate His goodness, to demonstrate His love to the neighbors that we have, to the people in our lives, and show them God's love even as Christ has shown us love back to us in our lives. But what does going look like? Today we're talking about our value of go. How do we go into all the world? According to Mark 16, 15, we're supposed to go into all the world. Does that mean i got to go on a missions trip? Does that mean I need to go out of state? Where does it start? Where does it end? This is kind of a big statement that Jesus makes that we're supposed to go into all the world. What does that look like exactly? Well, the answer is found in that first scripture. Going into all the world simply means this. Loving my neighbor. I go into the world and I preach the gospel every time I show God's love, every time I show God's goodness, every time I show God's favor, every time I become the hands and the feet of Jesus, I am showing God's love and I am preaching the gospel to this world. And you know, I was asking myself this question, who is my neighbor? Maybe you're here today and you're asking yourself that same question because it seems to be the one thing, the most important thing that Jesus wants us to focus in on is loving our neighbor even as he's loved us first, right? Well, Jesus had that same question posed to him in one of the most famous parables that we have in Scripture. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you guys have heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Or maybe you watched the news before and somebody did something amazing and heroic and they helped somebody right in the time of need and they called him a Good Samaritan. Well, there's this guy, he's this lawyer in Luke chapter 10. Another translation says he's a religious scholar in verse 25. And we're going to start reading here because he had that same question that we have today. He's having a conversation with Jesus, and he says, Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. So this guy is kind of a little bit full of himself, and he wants to see what Jesus has to say about how you get into heaven. He poses this question to Jesus. He says, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? He has some really good questions. This is the first question he has. He's like, Jesus, how in the world do I get into heaven? That's the question all of us want to know, right? Like, what do I need to do to spend eternity in heaven? And we know today that if we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, that's how we get into heaven. But this man, he's having this conversation with Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, how do I get into heaven? Jesus replied, what do you read in the law? How do you understand it? The religious scholar answered, it states that you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your passion, your energy, and every thought. Basically put, you got to love God with everything you got if you want to get into heaven. 
But he ends it with this. This is a powerful statement. He says, And you must love your neighbor even as you love yourself. What is Jesus' response here? Jesus said, That is correct. You want to be correct whenever Jesus asks you a question and you answer and He says, yes, that is correct. You don't want to be on the opposite side of it where Jesus asks you a question and you give an answer and Jesus is just staring at you blank like, what are, what are you talking about? That, that's the wrong answer completely. This guy had a good answer. And he said, love your neighbor even as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further, saying this. What do you mean by my neighbor? That's a fantastic question, right? We know the one thing we're supposed to focus on is going into the world and loving our neighbor, even as Jesus has loved us. But who in the world is my neighbor? This man, this lawyer, he's very smart. He's a scholar. He knows his stuff. But even at the end of it, he wants to make sure he's got it right because this is how he gets into heaven. This is the conversation he's having with Jesus right now. And he's like, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Is it the person to the left of me? Is it the person to the right of me? Is it the person across the street, three doors down? Where does it start, but where does it stop? Because if I'm really supposed to love people just the way Jesus has loved me, that's, that's a big thing, right? And this lawyer in this moment is like, can you tell me exactly who is my neighbor so I know who to focus on and who not? And Jesus, he does something that only Jesus does. And he doesn't give a quick answer to this lawyer when he asks the question, who is my neighbor? He says, sit down for a moment and let me tell you a story. And Jesus, I can relate with him a lot in this moment because I've got three boys. Whenever I'm really trying to get a point across to them, They'll tell you they don't like it, but this is what I do. I say, can you sit down for a moment? Let's have a conversation. Can I tell you a story real quick? And I know in their minds, it's just like me whenever I was a boy, and my dad said, let me tell you a story. I'm like, oh, how long is this going to last? And when can I get back to having fun? Well, Jesus has this conversation with this lawyer in this moment. He's just like, sit down, let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story in order to answer your question about who is my neighbor. And this is where we pick up in Luke Chapter 10 and verse 30, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So here we go. So Jesus is talking to the lawyer and says, Jesus replied, There was once a Jewish man traveling to Jerusalem, to Jericho, when the bandits robbed him along the way and beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest comes walking down the street. Now I want you to remember these characters. We'll come back to them a little bit later. And as we look at these characters, you're going to be tempted to have an opinion and you're going to be tempted to want to be critical of them and how they responded to this man that was left half for dead. But I want us to hold our judgment, hold our criticism back for a moment because I believe that these characters in this story sometimes represent us and how we respond. But we're going to break it down in just a minute. But we have character one come into the scene. It's a priest. Let's see how he responds. He sees the man left half for dead, and the Jewish priest comes walking down the same road and comes upon a wounded man. He sees him from a distance. The priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him. Man, that's kind of deep if you think about it. He's walking down a road. He sees a man half dead, and his response is to see him from a distance. He's clearly in need. He's half dead. And he just keeps walking. It's like, oh 
man, who could do such a thing like that? Well, the next person comes into the story, the second person on the scene. You can imagine this man left half for dead. He's, he's opening his eyes. He sees this priest walk by and thinks, surely he's going to help me. But in this moment, the guy keeps walking. Here comes the Levite. The Levite is somebody that helped in the temple. They were like a volunteer. They're a church-going person. They're there all the time helping, doing all these things. The Levite was slightly better in his response, but doesn't quite get there. It says, later a religious man came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. So we see this Levite in this moment. He goes to the other side of the road to get a closer look at this man that's left half for dead. But then he keeps walking just like the priest did. You can imagine this man that is left half for dead. His eyes barely open. He sees one man walk by him, see him, makes eye contact with him, keeps walking. This guy comes in for a closer look and he's thinking, surely this man will help me. He's a Levite, but he doesn't. He keeps walking too. We're like, this story is getting worse and worse. Why won't anybody stop and help this man? But we have the hero of the story, the Samaritan, the famous person in this story does a miraculous thing. In verse 33, it says, Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stoops down and gives him first aid. He pours olive oil on his wounds, disinfects him with wine, bandages him to stop the bleeding, lifts him up, places him on a donkey, and he carries him into an inn. He puts him up in a hotel. It says, Then he took him from his donkey. He carries him up to his room for the night. And the next morning, he takes his own money out of his wallet. He's at the hotel. He's talking to the hotel clerk. He gets his wallet out. He puts down some money to take care of the bill. But then he does something else. He tells the guy, if he needs anything else, just take care of it. I'll pay you back whenever I get back from my journey. This guy's amazing, right? The first two walk right by this man that's left half for dead. Here comes the Samaritan, and he withholds nothing to help this man. He stoops down on his knees. Rather than looking from a distance, rather than getting a closer look, he gets down on his knees and he begins to help this person that's in a condition of brokenness. And Jesus ends this parable. I love this so much. He asks this lawyer a question. He wants to make sure he really got it. It's pop quiz time for this guy. Jesus asks the lawyer, he says, So, now tell me, which one of these three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor. Now, we don't know what the man's response is, but he's a smart guy. He's smart like all of us here, and we probably know the answer is the Samaritan is the one that proved to be a true neighbor. It for sure wasn't the priest who walked by the man and didn't stop, and it definitely wasn't the Levi that got a little bit of a closer look and kept going. It was the Samaritan who stopped in that moment to help somebody who was in need. And the question we have today is this, that the one thing is we're supposed to do is love our neighbor even as we loved ourselves. And the way we do that is by going into our world and sharing the gospel and sharing God's love with our neighbor. Who in the world is our neighbor? That's what this lawyer wants to know. Jesus tells him this story and the answer to that question is this, is our neighbor is anyone who is hurting or who is in need in their life. Anybody that we come across who's in a broken condition in their life, that person 
is our neighbor. And that is the one thing above all other things that Jesus tells us. This is the ticket. There's a lot of things you could do with your life and you should do with your life. But if you love your neighbor, the people that are broken, the people that are hurting, the people on your left, your right, the people you work with, the people at the grocery store, wherever you shop, wherever you do life, if you love them just like I loved you, the rest of these things, they'll take care of themselves. And your neighbor is whoever you come in contact with who is broken. Every single day we come in contact with somebody who has some sort of brokenness in their life. Whether it's a physical infirmity, whether something happened relationally, whether they're in a really stressful time of life, whatever it is, we encounter these people every single day. And I know it's easy to look at the priest and it's easy to look at the Levite and be like, how could they? What kind of decent human being would simply walk by this man left half for dead? I would never do that. We want to break down each one of these three characters in this story and look about their response because I believe some of it we can relate to and sometimes it's happened to us before too. And so that's why I said as we looked at the story, let's not look at these characters critically. Let's not look at them with judgment. Let's look at them and realize they're normal people just like you and me. But the priest in this story represents somebody. They represent somebody that has a numb heart. And the reason I know that is this, is because whenever we really start to slow down and read this story, we see some things about the priest and his behavior. First off is this, he's a priest and he sees hurting people as a job. If we simply just see people that are broken and they're in pain just as a job and not as people and not somebody that matters to God, our heart begins to get numb. And what we see that priest do is he looks from a distance and he quickly ignores it and he keeps on walking whenever he sees somebody broken and in need because he simply sees hurting people as a job. It also says that he looked at them from a distance. Somebody with a numb heart like this priest, they will see somebody hurting, they will see him from a distance, they will barely make eye contact, and they will keep going just because their heart is so numb about helping people and showing God's love to them. They go away from the problem. It says that this priest goes to the other side of the road. Not only does he not want to look at it and deal with the issue and deal with the hurting person, but he goes to the other side of the road and he gets away from it as quickly as he possibly can because his heart is so numb. They go out of their way to look the other way because something about their heart and something about their life has seen so much that they are just at a place where they ignore people whenever they're in need. You see, this man was a priest, and so he dealt with people that were broken and in need and hurting every single day. That was his profession. And something about life had so calloused his heart and made him so numb. He had seen so much for so long that he literally was able to take a quick glance, ignore it, and keep on going and wasn't phased by it. The priest represents somebody whose heart has just become numb to life. When I was 13 years old, I went to go work out with my best friend. His name was Jason Sanders. By the end of the story, you'll be like, he wasn't really much of a friend, and I'd, I tend to have to agree with you. But we go work out all the time, and we would play racquetball right after we'd work out. I loved playing racquetball. It's one of the things that we just really enjoyed doing. And so that particular day, we're about to go into the racquetball court, and you can kind of see above and watch other people play from the second story. 
And my friend Jason, before we go in, he says, hey, guess what? If you get in my way today, if you get in the way of the ball, I'm going to hit you in the head with my racket because I'm not going to stop until I win. I'm like, what a crazy statement to make. And I was like, I don't want to hear all this talk. Let's get in and let's play. You're not going to win. You know, and so we're just competitive teenagers. We get in there. It's a tight game. We're back and forth. And you know what happens? You can probably guess it. I go after the ball, and next thing I know, crack, I get hit right in the back of the head with the racket. And I mean, I got hit bad. So much so, I hit my knees, and I blacked out for a minute. And I get up, and I'm like, what in the world? Did he really just hit me in the back of the head with a racket? Is he crazy? I look at my hand, and I've got blood on my hand. I'm like, oh my gosh, how hard did he hit me? My head is throbbing. And I look around me, and there's blood on the court, and I'm not trying to be gross, but I mean, he really hit me and split my head open. And I'm like, what kind of friend does something like this? And so I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm 13. I'm freaking out. My head is bleeding everywhere. I don't know how bad it is. And all of a sudden, two of the people that worked at the gym, they come down. I'll never forget it. This guy, this ball guy, opens the door. He looks at me. He says, that's not my job. And he runs out and goes the other direction, leaves me 13 years old, bleeding just there. And I'm like, what kind of person would do that to a 13-year-old? But the lady that was with him, she was a Samaritan to me that day. She picked me up. She took me to the bathroom. She helped get me cleaned up. She gave me a towel to put on my head, keep pressure on it. She took me to the phone to call my dad. I'm 13 years old. This is really before teenagers had a cell phone, so it was a really long time ago. But anyway... And then I make it to the doctor and, you know, they get it sewed up and all that kind of stuff. But you might be saying, who in the world could act like this priest to this man that is laying here bleeding half dead? Y'all, it's not as rare as you would think because some people see other people just as a job and not as an opportunity to show God's love and to be a good neighbor. In that day, I encountered somebody like that. And chances are you've encountered somebody like that too where they're just numb to it. They look at it from a distance and they just dismiss it and they keep going. But the second person in this story is this Levite. And this Levite does a slightly better job than the priest does to begin with. The priest looks real quick, goes to the other side of the road, end of story for him. The Levite slows up a little bit. You guys have ever seen a wreck and you know cars start to slow up? and traffic slows down, and you know there must be a wreck up here. Why? Because people are slowing up and trying to get a look at what's going on. This is what this Levite does in this moment. As he slows up, he goes close, close enough to the guy laying there half dead. He looks at him, but then he goes around him. So he wants to get a closer look. There's something about his heart that knows, I should stop and I should show love and compassion to this man, but he just can't quite get there because he keeps on going just like the priest does. I can only imagine the man on the side of the road that's left half or dead, what he's thinking by this point. Are you serious? Two people walk by me? Look at me. Look at my condition. Am I going to die here today? There's no telling what's going through this man's mind. But the Levite represents somebody that just simply has a cluttered heart. They see hurting people as someone else's problem. It's just like most of us, whenever we're driving down the road and we see an accident, 
For most people, the first response is not let me pull off and be able to help. Most of us just get a little closer look and we keep on going whenever we see something that has happened like that. The person with a cluttered heart goes around the problem. They don't go to the problem. The first guy, the priest, he looks at it from a distance. The Levi gets a little bit closer look, but then he goes around, Scripture says. And the person with the cluttered heart lets selfishness stand between them and stopping. Selfishness stands between them and going and doing. Selfishness stands between them and reaching out and being a Samaritan to somebody else whenever they're in need. Selfishness stands between them and being a good neighbor. And I really believe the reason with the Levite in this story that he doesn't stop, that he doesn't take time, he gets a little bit closer than the priest does, but I really believe what happens with the Levite is this. Is the Levite's got so many problems of his own. He's got so many things going on in his life. He's got problems to fix. He's on his way to go do something to go help somebody do whatever else it might be. But in this moment, the Levite's got a cluttered heart. He's too concerned about fixing his own stuff that he doesn't have time to help somebody fix their stuff. And that's what happens whenever we get a cluttered heart, just like this Levite, is that selfishness stands in the way of us reaching out and being a Samaritan to somebody that's in need. And I feel like the best way to really sum up the, uh, the person who is a Levite in this story is this, is that Christ can be found in their mouth, but Christ cannot be seen in their life. That they're all about it and they love God, but they're so consumed with themselves and their own issues and their own problems that they're like, there's no, I just can't get there. I can get a little bit close. I want to care. I want to get there, but I still got to go around it. I don't have time to stop and do that because i got to take care of me and my other things. That Christ can be heard in their mouth, but it's hard to see Christ demonstrated in their life. You might be saying, man, this priest and this Levite, these dudes, not good dudes, who will walk by a man like this and just keep on going? This past Friday, I came up to the church and I was running through my message and I left the church and it was like, immediately I'm tested, am I going to be a good Samaritan or not? It's amazing how the devil will come immediately to try to steal the word for you. But in this moment, I'm driving down 55 and I get off on the Lakeland exit and a lot of times you'll find somebody there holding a sign saying that they need money, saying that they need food. And that's exactly what happened to me that day. As soon as I go, I'm going to pick up my three boys because they're with my wife and she's getting her hair done. And so I'm like, I need to hurry. I need to get there. I need to get these boys. Because if you leave three boys in a salon a salon for very long, there's no telling what's going to happen. Okay, it's just the truth of it. So I go, and this man, as I get pulled up to the stoplight, he's doing this. I'm hungry. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't have any money. I got 78 cents in my cup holder. Like, I'm going to give that to him for sure, but I don't... I don't have anything else right now. And I'm like, that's not enough. Maybe that will help with some other money possibly he's got. There will be some other cars. Surely will come behind me and help this man. So I roll down the window and I hand him the 78 cents. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's all I got. He said, I don't want your money. I want food. He said, I'm hungry. I'm like, brother, I am sorry. It's all I got. 
like, well, I need to go. I got my own stuff to fix. I got my own things to do. I got to go get my boys so they don't tear the salon upside down, right? My wife's getting her hair done. It needs to be just her time. And she was gracious enough to watch them so I could come up here and look over my message. And immediately I'm tested. Am I going to be the priest? Am I going to be the Levite? Or am I going to be the Samaritan? And I know we look at these two gentlemen, the first two, the priest and the Levite, and we're like, I would never. But the truth of the matter is how many times do we see need? Do we see brokenness? Do we see somebody hurting? And we just keep on going. It's not that far-fetched. We've all been that person at some point in our life, unfortunately. So I'm like, man, I'm going to be running late. i got to go get these boys, but I have got to help this man somehow. And so I'm like, there's a McDonald's up here. I'll stop at the McDonald's. So I get close to the McDonald's, and there's a long line, and I'm like, if, if you know me, I don't like lines, and I don't like to wait much in life, and so I'm like, mm, I, I can't wait in that line. It's going to be 45 minutes before I get my boys, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> and immediately the Lord's like, there's a gas station that you just passed. Go get them something from there. So I'm like, you know, I whip around. I go to the gas station, and I go get a sandwich, and I get a drink and some stuff for this guy. And... So I go back on the interstate. I get back there to where he's at. I happen to catch a red light, which is great. And I roll down my window and I hold out the sack to the guy. And he's just looking at me like, are you serious? You came back? And I gave him the sack of food, said, God bless. And he told me, he said, may your year be filled with love and great communication. I don't don't know what the great communication part was all about. But anyway, he was grateful nonetheless. But I share that story with you today because I was almost this Levite too busy with my own stuff to stop and help this guy. Even as God is speaking to my heart and I'm sharing with something with you today because life gets busy. Our heart gets cluttered with fixing our own stuff. And so much of the time we feel like I got to get it all fixed and I got to get it all worked out before I can help somebody else. But the truth of the matter is, is God can use us no matter where we're at. And no matter how perfect or imperfect our lives are. And we get to the third person in the story, the third character. The Samaritan is the guy we all want to be like, right? He's Jesus to this man in this story. And the Samaritan represents the person who has a heart that goes. Our value we're talking about today is the value of go. And that's exactly what the Samaritan did. The Samaritan sees helping hurting people just as the right thing to do. If you ever, I recently read a story about a car that went over a bridge into the water and this guy jumped out off the bridge into the water to save these people. And I'm thinking, wow, that's incredible. And every single time you hear a story like that where somebody helps somebody and does something heroic and they're like, why did you do it? They always have the same answer. They say, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And they would have done it for me too. They're just good people. But the truth of it is, statistically, two out of three people won't stop, according to this story. They want to think that they would get it done for them. But the question is, is would they really? But the Samaritans, the thing that's different about them and the priest 
and the Levite in this story is when they see somebody broken and they see somebody in need and they see somebody hurting, they don't look at them from any distance and ignore them. They don't act like the Levite and get a little bit closer, Lord, just out of curiosity. But no, it says that he kneels down in that moment. He goes towards the man that is broken and is hurting. And he gets down on his knees and he begins to help the man and wash his wounds and help him and restore him so that he can be healed. And it says from that point that he gets out and he brings him to the hotel. He carries this man up to his room. He withholds nothing about his life to this man in this moment. And he personifies what a good neighbor is. He gives his time. He gets his wallet out. He gives his money. And more than anything, he gives that man his heart in that moment. He shows God's love to his neighbor. He went into his world and shared the gospel by showing God's love. He's exactly what a good neighbor looks like. The Samaritan lets compassion compel them to get whatever part of their life they can to help those that are broken. And one of the things I love about the Samaritan is this. He didn't let his imperfection keep him from helping. He didn't let his own problems stand in the way. He realized, I'm not a perfect person and I don't have all the answers, but what I do have, I can give and I can help. I can give him a hand. I can help him clean up. I can help him get into a hotel. I can help him What I can do, I will do. I won't just walk right past it. I will help him in whatever way that I can help him. They don't let their imperfection keep them from jumping in the game and helping somebody whenever they see a need, when they see somebody broken. And the last thing about the Samaritan that is so crucial is this, is that somebody that acts like the Samaritan that has a heart that goes will never leave somebody worse than when they found them. They always leave somebody better than where they found them. You know, years ago, I had a friend that I reached out to because I was in a place in my life where, honestly, I felt a little broken. I felt tired. I felt worn out personally, professionally. and was just kind of in a spot in my life where it was like, man, I'm just worn down. I feel kind of broken right now. And I called my friend and I said, hey, here's what I'm going through. And he told me, he said, I want you to come see me. I'll take care of everything. I'll put you up. I'll pay for your meals. We'll spend time. I'll listen to you. We'll get it worked out. You just need to hang in there. Everything's going to be okay. Just come see me. Well, I went and visited with him. and I didn't open my wallet one time. He put me up took time to listen to me. He gave me his time. He gave me his resources. But most of all, he he opened up his heart and his life to me in that moment and encouraged me. And he most definitely left me better than how he found me. And after I got back home, I had fresh vision. I had more hope in my life, and I felt like I could get back in the game and do the things that God was calling me to do. He was a Samaritan to me in my life during a time where I so desperately needed it. And I want to encourage us all today that there is power in going and loving your neighbor. That whenever we go, when we serve people in whatever capacity it is, we starve out the selfishness in our life whenever we go. We become Christ's hands and feet 
whenever we go. And to me, maybe the most important thing that happens whenever we go and we love our neighbor just as Christ loved us is this. Whenever we go and we love those people, we become somebody's answer to prayer. Because everybody that's in a broken place, whether it was once upon a time or it's right here today, you're in that moment right now in your life, whether they say it out of their mouth, they for sure say it in their heart, and that is this, is that God, I need your help. I need something to change. I need a touch from you. I need a touch from heaven. I need help. I am broken. I need to be restored. I need to be healed. I need God to do something. And do you realize every time you go and I go, and I show God's love, and I spread the gospel by demonstrating His love, we become somebody's answer to prayer. When I went to go see my friend that weekend, he was an answer to prayer. I can promise you that. When that Samaritan stopped and helped that man that was left half for dead, he was an answer to that prayer. No matter how big the need is, or how small the need, no matter how broke or how little brokenness that you see with the people that we come in contact with, It doesn't matter. We become an answer to somebody's prayer every time that we go. And us as a church, going is one of our values. And we're going to show you some of the things that you've done by being a part of this church. Whenever we go, you go. And these are some things that we're going to look at here on the screen about some of the things in the last several months that we've done as a church whenever we've gone. We saw broken people. We saw hurting people. We saw people in need. We partnered with Highland Elementary with with families that needed food. It's right around the corner. There are kids there. There are families there that they just need help. They're in need. Because the church went, you went. Also, we do teacher appreciation there. That's one of the ways that we go. During COVID, we were able to do different things uh, with, with meals and with water and different things like that. During the Jackson water crisis, we helped over 1,800 families as a church. We gave out, I think it was 180,000 bottles of water. That's a lot of water, y'all. That's a lot of people that were helped. I know just here, we had some people on staff that were in Jackson during that time after the storm and there was no water. We were able to help a lot of people that were in need and hurting during that time. We adopt schools for awards days. We do any number of different things as a church. We go into the community and help people. The reason why we do that is because this. The one thing that we've got to focus on above all other things, according to Jesus, is this. To love our neighbor. And to go into the world and preach the gospel by showing God's love to them. Whenever you came in today, you got one of these postcards right here. There's a number of opportunities that if you say... I'm ready to go. I'm ready to show God's love and demonstrate the gospel through God's goodness. You can check out a number of opportunities that we have here today by going to our website. Probably the biggest one that we have is coming up this month on the 26th. We're going to Murrah High School. And we need about 200 volunteers. We're going to repaint just about most of their classrooms that are really in need. And so that's something you can sign up for. You go to our website. There's a lot of other opportunities as well. But I want to encourage you, you're making a difference every time that you go. And by being a part of this church, whether you're giving financially, you're giving your time, you're putting your hands to something, all of those things, when the church goes, you go. So I want you to give yourself a round of applause this morning. 
you're making a difference in this world, in this community, all because you made the decision to go. Let's pray together today. Father, we come before you. We thank you for allowing us to be your hands and your feet today. Thank you that we get to go into all of our world, that we get to help our neighbors when we see them in need. We get to demonstrate your love, your compassion, your goodness. Father, I know there might be people in here today that you say, you know what, I feel more like the Samaritan than I feel like anything else. I feel like right now in life I'm broken. I'm hurting. I need a touch from God. I need Jesus in my life. I need the one that can bring healing to me. If that's you today and you say, I need to make Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior, we'll pray together in just a moment. But if you will, just lift your hand real quick. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Let's pray this prayer together today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you now as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me, for cleansing me, for restoring me, and making me whole again. Jesus, use me to do the same for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Hey, we had a lot of hands go up. Let's give it up for all those that made a decision this morning.